0: Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samushi,
1: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about A Heart of Glory. This episode was written by Herbert Wright and DC Fontana and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on March 9th, 1988.
0: We have recently joined the Trek Geeks podcast network.
1: It's so exciting. We're so yeah. excited about this. We're really yeah, happy to so... be here.
0: If you are already listening to us, this probably won't affect you very much, but you can now listen to us uh, through the Trek Geeks App or through their website.
1: Yeah, so Trek Geeks is a large Star Trek community podcasting network. There's a number of other really cool shows on there that are looking at everything from like some of the new series, some of the old series like Enterprise, but also like Discovery, Picard. There's a new one starting that's looking at Prodigy, the new animated Star Trek series. And so there's there's a number of really cool shows on there. So uh, in addition to continuing to listen to us, we welcome or invite you to also check out the other members of the larger Star Trek community family that we've been adopted by.
0: Yeah, and we're really happy and excited.
1: Yeah, it's super exciting. So yeah. we're, thank you for everyone who's been supporting us up till this point. And of course, the Trek Geek community. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to have happened to two Star Trek podcasters.
0: Yeah. And if you uh, found us through the Trek Geeks Network. Hi. Welcome. Hello. We're excited to have you listen. We hope you like yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Should we have our check-in?
1: Yeah. What's uh, What's on the menu for today's check-in, Ruthie? Okay.
0: So in this episode, uh, we see a little bit about kind of the tension that Worf holds between his Klingon identity and living in a society that has no other Klingons. Yeah. Let's talk about that idea of living in two different worlds.
1: First of all, I was born in Canada. I was too and my parents were also born here, but my my grandparents on both sides of my family moved here from somebody or somewhere else. Mm. Well, my grandparents on my mother's side are still alive, and it was my grandfather on that side who got me into space. But I, I watch them sometimes, and I wonder what it's like, like, if they feel like they're living in two worlds. And I try to compare that to, like times that i feel like i'm living in two worlds which is entirely different i think than than someone who might have actually come from a whole other place in this case a whole other planet but i wonder if, if that's experience that sometimes people feel like coming from other places and and immigrating to new countries is like i wonder if they sometimes feel like aliens in another world
0: i mean i was just as you were, when you were talking about that i was thinking of i've seen a lot going around recently about like two different canadas oh, okay and like you know canada for Settlers and Canada for Indigenous people. For
1: sure. For sure. Especially recently. Right yeah.
0: There. Yeah. There's been a lot of attention, which is important. I wonder if when your world is invaded and another society is kind of imposed on it, does that feel like living in two worlds?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So before we got started. Yeah. In our preamble, you had said that there are times that you feel like you're <laughs> living in two different worlds. When When is that, Ruthie? When do you feel like you're living in two different worlds?
0: Hard to really articulate. I am... I, I've talked before about how I can f- be anxious about certain things. And one thing that I get anxious about, I don't know why, but, but I do, uh, is introducing my friends to each other.
1: <laughs> you prefer having your friendships like siloed off and more contained with one another? Like
0: it's always – at any time that my friends have met other friends, you know, it it, it generally goes well and it's nice and then – it doesn't happen very often because, I I don't know, I just feel awkward about... It's the introduction that I have a problem with. Not the not the idea of them mixing, but the idea of me introducing them.
1: Yeah, which goes badly for Worf in this episode.
0: <laughs> Good point. Right? Yeah. If this is what I grew up with. I saw this yeah. happen. I was like, oh, I don't want that to uh, happen to me. Uh,
1: these worlds can't mix together. But so
0: I just sometimes feel like... And okay, here's here's a funny thing that happens as a result of that. If I, if I enter a new phase in my life, so okay, when I graduated from university and I started teachers college, I met all these new people, right? Mm-hmm. And it was very nice and, you know, and then I was chatting with someone from high or I was hanging out with someone who had gone to high school with and that was also nice. And then this the story is very long and circuitous, but then I was talking to someone I'd gone to university with and I just assumed that that person from university knew my friend from high school because they were both from like a previous stage in my life and then I was like no but those were still two different stages mm-hmm. but I don't know yeah so that's the reason that I sometimes feel like I live in two worlds is, or not just two like multiple worlds is that I feel very awkward like mixing my worlds but it's not it's not having them mixed when friends When yeah like what like I said when different friend groups meet each other that's fine. It always goes really well. And because, you know, my friends are cool people. But yeah, the the idea of bringing them together fills me with dread and anxiety.
1: I don't feel like this so much anymore, but I used to be more connected to spiritual and religious communities, mm-hmm. which I, I no longer am. But in the past, like I, I still was very much had a foot in the scientific uh, space cosmology yeah. world, which was dominated by... Like atheist and secular sentiments, but then also had a foot in like religious communities and people in both couldn't, often found it hard to figure out how I could coexist in one or the other. Right. Sometimes like one group was made uncomfortable that I was part of a spiritual community. The other group felt uncomfortable I was part of like a secular science community. Some people find that easier to straddle those two worlds Others don't. They don't see the compatibility. For me, it's it's now my my greatest concern or or, or criticism is with the institution, the way that religion has expressed mm-hmm. itself, especially in the last couple of years. <laughs> but in the past, that was that was like two worlds that I felt like I had straddled. Yeah. Uh, for a while, I also felt like I was in two different worlds when it came to astronomy, but also my background academically, which is in international development and like working and living abroad and doing charity work and stuff overseas. Like one felt very terrestrial and concerned with earthly matters and the other one seemed very much in space and for a while i felt really guilty about my love of space during that time in my life because it was like trying to escape the problems of the world until i remembered like wait a second when i realized that i probably would never travel to space part of me said well if i can't explore space i'll explore the earth and just like the crew of the enterprise when I'm exploring the planet, I'll try to be of assistance and do a good where I can. Mm-hmm. And and I think I forgot that for a while. I forgot that the reason why I wanted to do charitable work and and development work was because of, of space to begin with. So they they weren't as separate worlds as I thought. Right. And, and I don't know if that's a conclusion to a lot of our struggles in living in two different places is maybe trying to find the similarities between the two or, or bridging the two in a way that others wouldn't expect. And, and I think we get to see the beginning of that kind of journey with Worf here in this episode yeah, as well. Yeah,
0: totally. Should we get into it? Yeah, okay. Unless you have more to say about two worlds.
1: That was, that was kind of... I, I needed to explore that myself for a second, so thanks yeah. for allowing the space for that.
0: Yeah, that was nice.
1: So in this episode, the Enterprise investigates a battle in the Neutral Zone and finds that the only remaining survivors are three Klingon fugitives.
0: Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Okay, first of all, so was the Neutral Zone a thing in the original series? Do
1: you know, yo, this is a good question. There was a Romulan neutral zone. Okay, that was definitely so. My, okay, my knowledge of the original series is much more rooted in the movies than in the TV series because right. I don't I don't revisit original series very often. I do know for sure that there is a Romulan neutral zone that is definitely established and discussed in the original right. series.
0: Right,
1: and there's definitely a Klingon neutral zone that's established and discussed in the movies, but I don't remember if the Klingon neutral zone is talked about in the series. But there is there's these buffers and boundaries. That are called the neutral zone that exists between both the Federation and the Romulan Empire and the Federation and the Klingon Empire.
0: And basically, like, they're just just—they're not supposed to enter.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to be this buffer zone between so that both sides don't accidentally cross into each other's space. Right. But the neutral zones, I think the sentiment around both are different or changes over time. Because at this point, the relationship with the Klingons is different now than it was in the original series.
0: Right. We'll get into that. I think maybe later on, mm-hmm. but we don't we don't really know why it's different. We just know that it is different.
1: I remember when TNG was advertised for the first time, it was a big deal that there was a Klingon officer on the Enterprise.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That was huge because sure. the Klingons were always the main rivals and adversaries of the Federation throughout the whole original series, and were a main antagonist as well in in Star Trek Three. They were the bad guys. Quote, yeah, unquote, I'm going to say. Yeah. So to have Worf on the ship is is a big deal.
0: Yeah. So Starfleet has asked them to investigate a battle in the neutral zone. It's funny to me at one point they think, oh, could it could it be the Ferengi? And I, you can really see <laughs> that they were trying to build up the Ferengi as these like villains, but it just didn't work.
1: <laughs> no, they're still really trying to sell that the Ferengi are a thing. Yeah. And we're like, nah.
0: It's not. Nah, they, they, nah. they look at the, the residue of the explosions and they say it could be Romulan. Riker's like, oh, I haven't heard that name in a while and because in the original series the romulans were quite secretive right
1: yeah and they still are in next gen as well right so
0: have we met them we haven't seen them yet
1: we have not seen them yet but so there's some foreshadowing here as well i i think in this episode around let's say galactic politics
0: yeah so they find this like beaten up talarian freighter i was kind of confused at first because i was getting it confused with the (laughs) Torellians from haven i was like what Another one? I thought we found the last ship, but no, it's a Tolarian freighter.
1: Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, wait, wait, yeah, they're familiar. Oh, yeah, we did an episode on that. I should remember that.
0: And there are possible life signs, but they can't tell because the there's just a lot of radiation coming from the engineering section of the ship.
1: And so they decide that they, because there might be life signs, they're going to go check it out. So Riker takes Data and LaForge and Yar. although she, she seems eager to go. She wants to go. And she
0: usually goes.
1: And she usually goes, is that she's been asked to stay her at her post in case the Romulans show up because, of course, she runs tactical. So if they get into a, a, a starship battle, she's got to be at the weapons station.
0: Yeah. And then Picard, just offhand, asks LaForge if they can use this visual acuity transmitter We'll find out right. what that is very we're gonna, soon. <laughs> we're gonna
1: find out Yeah, it's basically this is gonna be streaming in yeah. the TNG world, which yeah. is great. But then warns number one that everything about this seems wrong. And then and and then Riker turns around and he's like, Yeah, it seems like a trap. Yeah, he and I was like, is. I guess I guess so. It's just a starship <laughs> in space, but sure.
0: Yeah. I also I don't think I've said this before. I think it's really sweet. It didn't occur to me before I think it's really sweet that Picard calls Riker number one. I like that that's what he calls him.
1: I mean, that carries through the whole show.
0: It's a kind of familiarity of like when you give someone a name that just only you call them, it's I like it.
1: It's Picard's way of being
0: professional,
1: but yet showing affection yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, it just occurred to me recently. I thought it was, I thought it was nice.
1: We get the introduction. We're in the transporter room, and this visual <laughs> acuity—it's <laughs> tra- like this thing. It's just like stuck on Jordy's visor, so that they can basically he can live stream what's going on. But
0: it's what he sees. Yes. It's not a camera. It's through his. And this like I don't know. I I was I literally like burst out laughing at some at one point during this because I was just like, "What? Why is this happening?" Because it's Okay, first of all, did they not have remote cameras in the late 80s? Like they they're talking or, about
1: this or or like, the or in the 24th century?
0: Well, like okay, like we have them now clearly, but when this yeah. episode was being written, did they not have anything like that? Because they're talking about it as if it's so amazing. But then it's like they're not actually seeing things that they know how to interpret. They they're seeing things that Jordy knows how to interpret.
1: Which I guess is is useful kind of. I mean, this is okay. They never come back to this idea again, by the way. Like we never Not even later never live in show. this
0: same episode.
1: No, not even in the same episode. It doesn't and factor.
0: I thought it would be a plot point, but no.
1: It's not, and it's strange because, like, up until this point, the episode still hasn't even been introduced. Right. It, it's one of those strange things where, you're like, okay, the rest of the episode is about these Klingons, but they're not even here before, like, the dramatic start of the show and, like, the opening credits yeah. and stuff. Anyways, I like you wrote down here. At the, I'm looking at your notes. It's, it, it's like a GoPro, but it shows Jordy's. Yeah, vision. it shows what he yeah. sees yeah it's Geordie Pro <laughs>
0: that's a good one yeah
1: so they arrive on the ship and it's very damaged and LaForge turns on the transmitter so on the main viewer they are seeing what he sees and everyone's like amazed by it and Picard yeah. is saying like i'm beginning I'm beginning to understand him Which and I is don't so weird. like it yeah it was I could see what they were trying to do with this and it, it was kind of a neat moment, but I feel like okay, if you wanted to do stuff around this like it then make a whole Geordie episode about this
0: yeah, actually deal with it. It took me a while to realize that they were... What they're seeing is what Geordi sees. Mm-hmm. I, f- I figured it out when Picard said, now I'm beginning to understand him. But at first I thought it was just like... that; It was just a camera. And I saw the picture right. and I was like... And they were like, wow. And I was like, that is not something to say wow about. That's a pretty fuzzy picture. But then I realized it was... It's because it's not how I'm used to seeing. But right. then Picard, like, they go in this... He's like, what is that? What is it? To the left. No, no, go back. Go back. And it's it's so clear that what he's looking at is Riker. Like, it's yeah, so it's a, it's clear. It's a humanoid form. It's, yeah, and, and it's yeah. very obviously Jonathan Frakes. Like, it's it's his shape. And when LaForge is like, oh, that's Commander Riker. And he's like, oh, he just looks like a mess to me. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, and they're asking, like, how can he make out what everyone's looking at? And LaForge says, which makes sense. He's like, well, if you're in a noisy room. How do you select one specific voice? So it looks like he filters out which one he wants to see. And when he looks at data, he
0: sees an aura.
1: Of course, he's an android. Isn't that what you see? Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, but I, I feel like LaForge knows. Wouldn't he know what humans see or don't see? Is that a fair po- right point? I felt like it was a forced writing point to try to show dissimilarity, but.
0: That I don't know because I felt like, well, this, I think this is, there are two different versions of this depending on which episode you watch and some of them Jordy is born blind and in, in others he had vision when he was a kid I don't know I th-
1: I think they always stick with him being born blind
0: okay so, but then so then it would make sense that he wouldn't you know you maybe really, he wouldn't know. you wouldn't you're know you're right how, how yeah they'll
1: see I mean that's true
0: but it it is a little I, I don't know I think Jordy's like he's kind of amused by it or at least that's how Lavar Burton plays it that like
1: of course he's an address ad-
0: he seems to be like yeah, amused by how amazed Picard is. Amazed
1: everybody is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, by by what he can see. Anyways, I I like these moments with LaForge and I I wish that, you know, without spoiling too much for the future rest of the series, what could be a cool ableism conversation around his visor almost gets normalized and we never really talk about mm-hmm. the fact that that Jordi's blind much through the rest of the show, but Which yeah. in
0: some ways is like I think that is sort of the direction you want to take the world in where That's it's fair. Sweet, That's, yes. but also like given that blindness is an actual thing that people in the real world deal with. Yeah, I can. maybe it's like not to just be like, oh, we fixed it. It's all good now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As if Riker is designed, in this case, to carry the plot forward, (laughs) he reminds them that they actually have a mission. So they're like, let's focus on what's going on. So he decides to investigate the ship. There's lots of gas leaking. There's disconnected pipes. Like, the the ship's messed up. And so to get to the life signs... They need to go around engineering.
0: There's an amazing exchange with that.
1: Yeah, Riker's like, what's the safest way around?
0: And Data says all routes are equally dangerous. And LaForge is like, well, which one's the least dangerous? He just (laughs) said they're equally dangerous.
1: What they're saying is that means they're equally safe and dangerous.
0: All of them are bad. And they're all the same amount of bad. And then Jordy notices, because of what his visor can see, that there's a fissure developing in one of the bulkhead's And so like what we see and what Riker sees is just like a a wall. Um, But then Picard says it looks like a spectrograph indicating metal fatigue, which again, like we didn't, Jordy knew that. Jordy knew what that was. He didn't need Picard to interpret it for him. So again, this is not serving the plot, but the hull is going to rupture in less than five minutes.
1: The transmitter cuts off because we have to deal with the real story of this episode now. (laughs) So they're like... (laughs) There's signal overload and Jordy's stream like cuts out because yeah. it's got a bad internet connection or whatever. And then Data goes ahead to the life signs. This is part- Actually, this part's also really funny. So Data's like, I can go ahead into this kind of core engineering section because the heat and toxic gas have less effect on me. But then he comes back like a minute later he's and like, he's like, I go. found them. Everyone come with me and they all walk into the heat and gas yeah. anyway. So you're like, oh, okay, whatever.
0: Shouldn't they have, like, hazmat suits or, like, space suits <laughs> like or, like, masks. protective <laughs> material? They're just there in their jumpsuits and they look rough. They're sweaty and...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I Probably stuff like that comes down to, like, costume. I know. Watching, and it's, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. They get to this door and the door is kind of jammed open and they need to get in. Data... Data is really super strong. Yeah. And this is one of the things you'll notice in, in, in Next Generation because... There's not a lot of, like, physical combat and, like, melee range combat and stuff right. that happens in Star Trek. So one of the only times Data gets to flex <laughs> is to open doors. This is, like, a thing with Star Trek. It's, like, if you know that Data's, Data's going to be needed to open a door... And that's how you know Data is strong. That's oh, that's all you'll see in Star is Trek so is Data true. opening doors. I
0: never thought of that. But it's because, yeah, yeah, he doesn't, like, beat people up. No. Occasionally, he'll, like, throw a punch, but not that yeah. often. But, yeah, no. no, he he is, Data is the, door, the opener. door opener. There you go. We need
1: someone strong to open a door. So they yeah. get this door, and Data opens it to get inside.
0: Yeah, and then they find inside three Klingons. Mm-hmm. And it's super surprising. And the the captain of the Klingons is Chorus, and Riker's like, we don't have time to introduce ourselves, let's get off the ship. Um, but he, so they're, they're, one of the Klingons is, like, lying down and is clearly, like, dying very, very bad. unwell.
1: I think this is also the first time we see Klingons in the show in, like, the Klingon garb.
0: yeah because Worf is always in his
1: He's always in his in yeah. his uniform. Yeah. How
0: do they I can't cuz and I I know the Klingons look different in original Trek, but I can't remember how they dressed. Like how does their garb compare TNG to original?
1: Yeah, they do have like um in original series they do wear like gold sashes, so I think I think Worf's gold sash is like a throwback to the TOS era mm. uniforms. Okay. But the uniforms that they are wearing are more in the movies. The movies they look like that. But not in the original series. So
0: the TNG Klingons, right, they look similar to the movie Klingons. Movie Klingons, yeah. And do they have the foreheads in the movie?
1: All of that stuff really gets established in, very briefly, in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right. We see like what the bridge of a Klingon ship looks like, the uniforms, the heads, and but it's only like for the first three minutes in the the opening of Star Trek the Motion Picture, which I, I think is actually a movie that gets that gets dumped on way too much. I think that movie's actually really good. And then we don't really see a lot of about Klingons again until Star Trek Three, which is another movie that I feel like gets dunked on too much. So a lot of movies, like a lot of the stuff we know of, about Klingons. Gets established in two movies that that often I feel like are underrated. No one,
0: no one likes, yeah. I have seen each of those movies once, and both of them with were with you at like twelve or thirteen years ago. Hey, I feel if,
1: if you want to do a rewatch at any time, let me know. Well, you I'm got damn. mad at
0: me the last time I made you do a rewatch because <gasps> I made well not mad, but I made you watch Star Trek Five.
1: <laughs> okay, well that yeah that that one has some it's got some good points, but there are a lot of low points in that movie. <laughs> It is the yeah. one film that I'm like, eh, out of all the Trek, yeah, you can skip. Yeah. yeah. Anyways,
0: so Chorus is the captain, and he insists on carrying the dying officer himself. Yes. Then this was interesting. So Picard sends uh, Yar to the transporter room to greet them, which makes sense because yep. security. Yeah. They, I, I don't know. They didn't want to pay Cole Meany to stand there or something. Like she is the one operating the the transporter, which I feel like in such a a technically difficult situation you'd want a transporter officer operating like someone who knows the transporter inside and out
1: yeah it's true i thought i thought i was like maybe she's got training on how to use transporters i don't know
0: so it's very suspenseful she turns on the transporter and they they start to materialize and they materialize back down on the it's a freighter that they're on
1: yeah it's too much interference
0: then we see the ship blow up and where i guess we're meant to wonder are they killing off three of the main characters all yep, at right once yes. and then a full 12 <laughs> seconds later i counted nice. they show up on the transporter pad
1: yeah this is another classic star trek did we get beamed away in time are yeah. we are we is our energy leaving this explodey place yeah. and are we gonna arrive back in the enterprise and surprise they do they're okay Yeah,
0: and but yeah. <laughs> she also doesn't say anything to the captain she lets riker say it himself so the captain has to wait like an extra three seconds
1: they're just all relieved to see each other yeah. they probably forgotten that some people are on the bridge still wondering whether or not they're alive yeah so picard and Worf go to meet the klingons in sickbay
0: yeah
1: chorus and conmel are surprised is that his name, Conmel? Conmel, Con-
0: Con- Con- I think.
1: Conmel, that's that the other, saying, the yeah. other Klingon, the one who's not yeah. dying. Yeah, not dying. They're surprised to see a Klingon aboard. So I, I maybe, I, like in the future, Worf is a bigger deal for serving in the Federation. But maybe right now he's still fairly unknown.
0: We learn sort of how he ended up here, and it it doesn't seem like any Klingons knew that he was left for dead and taken in by a human. By humans, right? Yeah. So it's possible that he was just raised without any klingons knowing that he existed. He
1: was alive. Yeah, yeah. maybe everyone thought he was dead till yeah. now. We don't know. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Chorus says that they were passengers on the Talarian ship and I wrote this down just because I thought it was so funny. They got on the ship at outpost MZ5. And as a Canadian, I I have always pronounced the last letter of the alphabet <laughs> Z. But in the Netflix I don't know so I don't know why in this show he said MZ5 but in the Netflix subtitles had the letter M, and then it wrote out Z. Z <laughs> because they're like we don't know what, we, don't we don't know, know what, what this that thing is. is. Yeah, we didn't realize
1: it was a letter of the letter, alphabet because yeah. it's pronounced differently.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, then they say they were uh, attacked <laughs> by the Ferengi, those the ferocious Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. And ended up in the neutral zone by accident.
1: And everyone's suspicious. Yeah. For one, because they scan the weapon signatures, and they know that the weapons are not Ferengi. But they're also suspicious because even at this point, the crew of the ship know <laughs> that the Ferengi are like a terrible bad guy and probably haven't done anything. Yeah.
0: Also, yep. I this is true throughout the series, but I this was the first time I noticed Worf pronounces the word weapons. He always says weapons. Weapon. Weapons. I love it. I love it. Weapons. Yeah, that's true. The weapons yeah. were not Ferengi.
1: Weapons were not Ferengi. Like even Picard... At this point, it's like he wants to know more about what's going on. Yeah. Because even he's suspicious here and the Klingons are like, we're tired and we're hungry and we don't want to talk about it right now. So Picard's like, okay, fine. Yeah. You you go off to quarters. He's not satisfied. The conversation's not over. It's not over yet.
0: Worf takes them to their quarters and Picard at this point is like, no, it's okay. We don't need a security team. Worf can deal with with anything that, that might come up. And then it's a really brief scene where the klingons are in their quarters and then picard's like your other comrade is not not gonna make it
1: yeah so and back in the quarters they're they're almost trying to goat him into like a. Uh,
0: that was an the word argument. i was looking I, for Goat I, him yeah. yeah
1: they're wondering about how Worf's time on the enterprise and in the federation has changed him yeah they say what is it like for the hunter to lie down with the prey so immediately they already established this relationship that they call it a human ship and i yeah. i find that this is common for star trek is still like the federation is still referenced as a human construct
0: especially in i feel in early early tng
1: yeah and i i knowing that earth was one of the founding members of the federation and starfleet and and federation headquarters is often on is always on earth yeah, i think yeah san francisco yeah but i'm i'm guessing by this point like humans would be totally outnumbered in time, in terms of just like membership in the federation, considering how many worlds are a part of the the federation, but anyways, yeah, they they established like this like yeah like kind of alpha mm-hmm. you know relationship, and they want to know if that's impacted Worf, and and Worf's like, are you making me angry? And they they kind of calm down, and they're like, we just want to see if it was even still possible to do that, like to see if you're alive in there.
0: Worf's reaction kind of reminded me of a thing that I saw a while ago, but that was like about people who are kind. Are kind because they they have to be, hmm. basically saying that like those people are are strong. They have been on the receiving end of unkindness. Not all people who are kind, but a certain kind of kind people. And so it kind of reminded me of that. That like Worf's like I can get angry and and that him not being angry is like a choice that he makes.
1: I, it's interesting that you say that because he he describes his survival as a kindness. Yeah. To them, he said, they're like, well, what happened to you? And I think this is a little bit later. He, he talks about this. But yeah. he, he does mention that it is a kindness that mm-hmm. saved his life. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Picard informs Chorus that the other Klingon is not going to make it. So they all go to sickbay and we see what happens. I guess this is what happens when a Klingon dies. So Chorus mm-hmm. holds his eyes open and looks into his eyes as he lets out. I guess it's a, like a death rattle. The dying Klingon is like strain, straining to breathe and then yeah and then they howl yeah. chorus and conmel and then worf all look up at the ceiling and howl and yes. there's like a medical officer behind them who's like shocked
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> like what's going on yeah. they're like we did our best job don't yell at yeah. us they're like no 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 it's part of it it's part of it it was interesting the the contrast to what so often we see happen when people die is that their eyes are closed by mm-hmm. somebody Mm, but in yeah. this case, like, the eyes are open. So to contrast that trope here, they are yeah. holding someone's eyes open. Yeah. You know, to look up and and yell, you know, and then they have this scream.
0: Yeah. Conmel takes, like, a spur off of the boot of the Klingon who just died. Yes. And, yes. and then when, when Crusher asks if they would like anything in particular done with the body chorus says that it's only an empty shell now please treat it as such
1: yeah treat it as such yeah
0: there's like a really brief glimpse we get as Worf and chorus and conmel are walking down the corridor we see like a parent saying like be careful to like a kid around the klingons
1: i totally yeah i, I totally missed that it was, I did not see it was it at really all.
0: small yeah
1: that comes back later
0: and yeah, and then we get this scene where they ask how Worf came to be part of Starfleet. And he says Romulans attacked the Kittimer outpost and he was left for dead. Like he was left under rubble, basically. And then a human Starfleet officer found him, took him to Galt, which was his home planet, I guess. Mm-hmm. And told his wife to raise him to raise Worf as his son. So, like, I was wondering, does that mean that like his dad was was off serving Starfleet and wasn't wasn't there to raise, the fact that he told his wife to raise him and they weren't that wasn't a joint thing?
1: Yeah, I think this is so when I watched this. Having watched, I, I tend to watch more of the later seasons of yes, TNG. Yes, th- this actually seemed unfamiliar to me. So, I think this is stuff that also because we meet Worf's foster parents later. Mm-hmm in the series and my understanding is that he was actually raised on earth in russia and so i think this i unless i'm wrong i think this story is also one that evolves later
0: yeah and we we don't actually learn how old wharf was but it was before the age of inclusion so whatever that is in on the klingon homeworld but one thing i was thinking as i and i was thinking about it again when we were talking about Worf not having any contact with other Klingons. I don't think this story would or at least should be written the same way today. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot more understanding of with adoption and especially like across cultures. And uh, there is there's a big problem with like countries that are in crisis. So there's like, you know, there'll be a crisis of some kind. And then these kids people are like oh there are all these orphans in on this this poor country let's bring them over here and adopt them but it's like those kids have families mm-hmm. so and it kind of feels like i mean the idea is that everyone died but this starfleet officer who found this little klingon kid i think uh, perhaps now with this understanding of that kind of thing that happens a more responsible writing would be that he then took this kid to the klingon homeworld right as opposed to being like ah, oh, you're mine now
1: which is interesting you say that because that, that is kind of how the story ends up evolving because Worf's family died in this attack. So he has no family.
0: Yeah, no, but even like the way that things in the real world happen is that like, okay, maybe they don't have, maybe their immediate family or, or you know, their family is But dead. it doesn't
1: mean he can't go back home. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so that I think at the time this was written I I'm not trying to say that like it was totally okay at the time it was written cuz I think right, it's right, right. still a problem but like this particular part of the storyline to me sounds a lot more like adoption stories of like the 80s than something that would happen now.
1: If they weren't two equal or like uh, I say equal powers in space it would have a bit of a colonialistic.
0: Yeah. And we and we find out like he has spent hardly because they say so. I guess you haven't spent much time with your own people, and he's like, no, hardly none.
1: Yeah, and so they wonder whether or not he has any of the same traits. Yeah, as as Klingons anymore. Does he does he feel this like the rush of battle and combat, and you know whether or not he's been dulled yeah. or not?
0: And they talk about humans not really so a bit like patronizing they're kind of explaining his own experience to him but they talk about humans not really accepting him and that he has he had to change for for humans because
1: the way Worf puts it is that he he has those feelings that they're still a part of him the urge of battle and combat but that he controls them and that they don't rule him but the other two klingons try to flip that story and basically then are saying like well then they made you change who you are in order to be accepted it's a fair question i think is like does does that is that how war feels does he you know we we don't know a lot about how war feels about being part of the federation right now he did join
0: starfleet yeah and he talks about like he and his brother both joined and his brother hated it his brother went back to galt but he he stayed so Mm -hmm. but it's yeah it's a you know maybe he had limited options maybe it was either stay in starfleet or go back to this other world where you don't really belong so it's Right. Um, but one thing they they kind of allude to is the f- the fact that he even in changing and hiding his Klingon side, that is still the act of a warrior.
1: I don't think they're actually trying to mock him or belittle yeah. him. Like they they're I think they they are actually kind of worried about him. Yeah, they're worried about Klingon society as a whole. As as I think is going to start. They're starting to discuss now is that they they think this alliance with the Federation is bad. Right. So they so they at this point, they admit that their story was false, that they commandeered this freighter to find a place where they could live like true Klingons, because now we're starting to talk about the alliance with the Federation. We know now that the, the Federation and, and the Klingons at least have some kind of alliance at this point in, in Federation history, as opposed to before when it was almost like more of a Cold War in the original series.
0: I just want to do a quick recap. OK, so sure. in the original series, Klingons and uh, Federation were enemies. Basically, right? They were they were the main enemies of the series. I
1: think. A lot of the stuff gets filled in after the series was was made, but yeah. it, when the original series was on with the actual episodes, there wasn't a full out war between them because my understanding was the Klingons were supposed to be an analogy or representation of Russia or of the Soviet Union. Okay, which is why when the story evolves about Cl- uh, Worf's adoption, it's a Russian family that he's grown up oh, with okay. on Earth, but. What the story gets filled in later is that there was a full blown war between the Klingons and the Federation before Kirk took over the Enterprise, but that that war has ended now, and there's like a tenuous peace. Okay. Even by the time the original series has started, and by now in Next Generation, there's like an actual like non aggression treaty or some kind of peace. But in
0: I'm just thinking like in terms of for someone who who was coming to this and seeing it when it aired, and maybe they watched the original series, so they would have seen this. At that point, it wasn't established that it was an all out war, but this hostility between the Federation and the Klingons through the original series, yes, and then, in the movies, at this point, we're at the only the only movies that have come out are one, two, three, and four, and at that point in the movies, we still mm-hmm. haven't seen much change in the relationship between the Klingons and the Federation, right?
1: Yeah, or, like, at least there's a lot of tension. Yeah. Because, like, even then they still established, kind of, that when there is aggression between the Klingons and the Federation, it's not an all-out declaration of war. It's sort of independent actors and, and sort of these rogue agents that have caused the conflict.
0: Right. But no alliance has been brought up. Until this episode, I think.
1: Yes. So at this point, and they don't flesh it out a lot, but later on, in, in, as the series evolved, we realize that there, has, there is actually some kind of alliance between the Federation and the Klingons. And at this point, these Klingons think that it's to the detriment of Klingon society. Yeah. You know, and that they call it—they call it a living death to warriors like them.
0: I'm sure there's someone listening to this who's like, "Oh my gosh, you ha- you two have no idea what you're talking about." They're like, mm,
1: <laughs> actually, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of it is canon that's been filled in afterwards. Yeah. it's not yeah. really that important. It's
0: not. It's not. I always like thinking about things like. What would someone, when this originally aired, what would someone be bringing to it? Or what would someone, what was the knowledge at this point in, like, in, yeah, not at this point in in the Star Trek universe, but at this point in, like, 1988? It
1: hasn't really been filled in yet because a lot of this backstory doesn't get fleshed out until Star Trek VI. Yeah. that it is the movie that looks back at how, like, the real peace between the Federation and the, the Klingon Empire was formed. That and... An episode in season three of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which is yesterday's Whoa, enterprise. That one's so good. That's another so one good. Big too. So those haven't happened yet. So we're I'm, so I'm also trying to like not go too much yeah, from yeah, the yeah, future. Yeah. So that's yeah. so if people are listening to this and they're like, "You're getting that all wrong." We know. We know. We're not. We're not
0: like. We're not trying to be like entire klingon history just like star trek history
1: and ultimately i always have felt the space politics is not as important as the character development that's really the most important part
0: and the allegory and the
1: allegory although i still have a map of the the space politics of the federation on my wall
0: well it just looks cool
1: it does yeah Yeah. thanks tom you're listening Tom got me that. Hey, Tom listens to our shows. He's a, he's both our mutual friend of Ruthie and I, and he's the one who got me that poster, and it's still on my wall.
0: Is it the same poster that I have?
1: Oh, do you have one of those? Too? I have one
0: of the galaxy, of the Alpha Quadrant.
1: Alpha Quadrant portion of the galaxy. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> All right, moving on. Friend, friend of the
0: pod. Tom. Friend of the pod. So the battle that they had was with Klingons. It wasn't with Ferengi. We all knew it wasn't with Ferengi, of course.
1: Yeah, it was Klingons who were sent after them. Yeah. Again, these are rogue agents.
0: What has been established now in this episode is that there is an alliance of some kind between the Federation and the Klingons. And these three Klingons, and this was a bit funny to me, these three Klingons were looking for a place where the three of them could live as real Klingons. Yeah, what would that be? Yeah, yeah, and just the three of them, um, just until I don't think they, they really... die, and then that's it. Like,
1: yeah, they haven't thought this through. Yeah, no.
0: Worf is pretty shocked that they fought with other Klingons. their own people. Yeah. yeah, but they they think it was necessary. And then Chorus asks them asks Worf to show them around the ship, which he does, and it struck me as a little odd that he didn't say anything to Picard about this.
1: Not only that, they
0: just told him a story about how they took over another ship. Yes. And then
1: they're like, can we have a tour of your ship? Yeah, of course. He's like, yeah, sure.
0: Where where, where do you want to look? You want to control how to to take over the ship? I've got a manual on that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And this is the person who gets promoted to chief of security (laughs) later. Good job, Worf.
0: Yeah, well, <sighs> we've talked about the Enterprise's security.
1: Yeah, it'll be an ongoing issue. Yeah. Even Odo brings it up in Deep yeah. Chase 9 oh, later. My but
0: uh, So on the bridge, we see Picard talking, I think, a little insensitively about Worf and and seeing Worf with the Klingons during the death of... Um, he's like, he, I, it was like looking at a man I'd never seen before.
1: I feel like what he was trying to say is that maybe he himself, because our beginning conversation was about living in two worlds. Right. I felt like what they were trying to get at here was that they've become, it's like they've, forgo- in a way, it's like they've kind of forgotten that Worf is of a, a completely different culture.
0: Like, like he's been assimilated.
1: Yes, that he's been assimilated. Uh, even though that word has different meaning at this point. At Star Trek. Hitler, <laughs> not, yet, but not yet, not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Yeah, and so when they say it, it seems like a different person. Like, well, these are these are parts of his culture mm-hmm. that everyone's just kind of, or maybe even never put in the effort to know.
0: Yeah. So we get a couple short scenes where Data says that long-range sensors are picking up another vessel, and so they're keeping an eye on that. And then there's a brief mm-hmm. scene in Engineering where Worf tells Chorus and Conmel that their values are outdated. And then we go back to the bridge, and they're talking about, Picard doesn't understand why, the, why they howled. The Klingons howled. And Data says, and I think this is pretty amazing. Data says that it's to warn the dead that a Klingon warrior is about to arrive. I think I want someone to howl when I die. To warn people, warn the dead that I'm about to arrive.
1: That's a sad thing to think about in the future when you're not here anymore, Ruthie. But if you <laughs> want me to howl when you die, I will totally do that. I will. I,
0: you know, I, I don't actually want people to howl. I want... I want the dead to need to be warned that I'm going to join them. I want to be that awesome.
1: Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. It is something to aspire to, I think. Watch out. Ruthie's coming.
0: I feel like that's a pretty cool trait to have, that the dead need to be warned that you're coming.
1: That someone's arriving. The legacy of their life and who they are as a person. It's a really, it's kind of a neat ritual, I think. think And I think that's why, like, they say afterward... And it'll be repeated later. Is that the body is just is empty because the essence, everything that's about the person, is now in the afterlife, and that's why that warning had to happen, and that's why this is just an empty shell yeah. now.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think it's. I like it. I also find certain death rituals very comforting. Mm. So I I can see this also as like a this is for the living that that it's a, it's almost like a celebration of
1: of how amazing they are. So the approaching vessel is Klingon yes. we find out. And it's the first time we've seen like that classic Klingon ship yeah. appear in Next Generation and like the like the Klingon music starts and everything. And Picard tells the commander of the ship, Canera, that they investigated the battle and that they've rescued Chorus and two other Klingons, one of whom has died.
0: Yeah. And then Canera tells Picard what we just found out, which is that these- are rogue. Yeah, they're rogue. They're criminals, that they clearly have destroyed the Klingon cruiser that was sent to bring them back. And he wants them returned to the Klingon ship as soon as they're in transporter range. Right. So Picard's like, okay, where where are they? And uh, t- t- Tashiyar is like, oh, they're they're near the battle bridge with Worf. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, no big deal. Yeah. During the tour that they had of the ship, Worf tells them like in that during battle the ship separates. Yeah. Uh, which is that like ex- supposedly exciting thing that the Enterprise is supposed to do during combat that we never really see much after. Yes. Yeah. So. Well,
0: because actually, even at the beginning of the episode, they're like, should we separate? And Picard's like, no, no, not yet. And it's almost like no. he's like, no, no, that doesn't make for good television. Let's not do that. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to... It's not that, yeah, it turns out that thing is It's not as exciting as we thought yeah. it was. Th- at this point, Picard tells Yar to take a security team. Yeah. And not to tell Worf. And tells Riker, like, I think, number one, we can't assume anything.
0: As they're in, they're looking at the battle bridge and the two Klingons are expressing a lot of interest in it, uh, Yar and security come to take them into custody. And, and they're like, no, Worf, don't let her. And there's like a very dramatic commercial break where like he's looking back and forth. And then after the commercial break, this little kid runs out of the turbo lift towards Chorus, and Yara's like, No, go back, go back to your mom. Chorus like picks the kid up, and Yara's like, Oh no, we got a hostage situation. And but Chorus almost looks confused. Like he's like, Why am I holding this? And then he hands the kid to Worf, and Worf gives the kid back to the mom.
1: It's a really weird <laughs> scene because I was like... I. It was like they, they didn't know exactly what they wanted the main point of tension to be yeah. in this moment. Like, did they want it to be Worf trying to decide between sides?
0: That's what it looked like at first.
1: Originally, at first, it was like him looking to you know, the Klingons and then to like Yar and the security team. And you're like, okay, it's like, he's not sure where his loyalty lies in this moment. But then all of a sudden they have this kid come in and now it's like a hostage situation, but then it's not. It's an awkward scene.
0: Yeah, because it looked, it did look kind of like Chorus was giving this kid to Worf as like a test to see if he would, which side he would choose. Once they take them into custody, Worf is like super indignant. And he's like, he says that Klingons don't take hostages. That's a coward's move. Right. And it's... <sighs> so it. Was, so why did Chorus pick up this kid?
1: Yeah, it is weird. I, this was a different era. I don't know. <laughs> but I think at the same time, like he's trying to... The, the one element I think that... that uh, I'll give Michael Dorn credit in this. I think he plays wharf in these scenes is if he wants to like these klingons more than he
0: does (laughs) yeah i like that he he
1: wants to be he wants to feel more pride in them as like kinsmen as as like as fellow countrymen but but at the same time he has been critiquing their like their views as being outmoded and outdated he tries to defend their actions to yar but i think at the same time he is pretty skeptical and suspicious of them as well
0: yeah yeah
1: they're in custody. This isn't the usual No, break. they
0: clearly hadn't designed that set yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. it's just a room, just somewhere. It's just, yeah, it's a
1: room with a force field.
0: Chorus and Conmel say something to each other in Klingon. And they're clearly planning something. Yep. Worf goes to the bridge and Picard tells him what's going on and that, that these two Klingons are going to be taken to the Klingon ship. And Worf is upset that they're going to be tried and executed. He is conflicted. And it's interesting, too, that, like, Picard and Riker kind of talk about that he must feel so conflicted sending his people to their death. The people who he is sending them to are also his people.
1: Yes, Picard says that at one point to Worf in this episode too. He's like, I do appreciate the difficulty this whole situation must be. And Worf thanks him for that. It's one of these things that we'll see later on in the future too that I, I do appreciate about Picard is that Picard always tries to be as empathetic as possible to what Warf feels in these circumstances mm-hmm. in in being in two different places yeah. and in two different worlds and that makes sense because Picard is he's a diplomat
0: I would say he's a diplomat and I also think that he is a kind person Picard like he cares about Worf yes I think he does I think he re- I, th- I think he does
1: I agree with you yeah the captain of the Klingon vessel hails the ship yeah and Worf asks, he says, I know this is against regulation, but can I address him directly? Yeah. He w- walks forward. He says something in Klingon and he gets a response in Klingon. And he pleads on behalf of the other two Klingons. Basically, what he's saying is, I understand something needs to happen, but not to be just executed. Yeah. Let them go live somewhere. He said, what burns in their in their eyes fires my soul and part of me longs for that time. And and. That's his own way of showing empathy as well. Worf lives in this world where he recognizes that this truce with the Federation is necessary. It makes sense. He works for the Federation. He works for Starfleet. Totally. But part of him also understands their viewpoint and the fact that they feel so out of place in this time of peace Mm -hmm. between these two great forces in the galaxy. Yeah.
0: And what he wants is for them to be sent, he says, to the Holly system, which is not a place that I am familiar. It's a great with.
1: place to live. It is. It's is. Is it? Is it? Yeah. But I... <laughs> a
0: great place to die, I guess. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Because he says that then they can face death on their feet as opposed to yes. like, you know, tied up or whatever. And Canera yeah. understands and he says like when one of us dies dishonorably basically it it affects all of us but still no.
1: Says no. Yeah.
0: So that's, he says that's no how it's yeah. got to be. Chorus and Conmel are in their little makeshift brig they weren't searched before going in there. Again, we've no got amazing security on the Enterprise because they're <laughs> making a weapon. They're like taking little things and putting stuff together, and one of them just like brings a little something up to the force field and just disables it. Like I feel like an actual door would have been more effective than the force field. <laughs> I hadn't thought
1: of that, but you're right. Yeah, but they they basically have a on disruptor, just have, like pieces of their belt and yeah, stuff, they and they build they build together. a weapon yeah. and they kill. Two security officers. Yeah. And then Conmil's also killed. Yeah. And Yarn and the other security go and chase off the last. Of
0: Chorus, yeah.
1: And Picard explains that Chorus has escaped to the Klingon vessel. And they're like, well, hey, listen, Chorus is a trained Klingon officer. So if you need help, there's no shame in asking us to help, which is a bit condescending. It it's about as nice as, I think, or polite as a Klingon captain will probably be. I
0: guess. Yeah. But Picard's like, no, no. We got this, thank we you got, We got. We got
1: this, because we have our own Klingon. We on. do,
0: and course goes to engineering. Everyone's like, oh no, what's happening? Blah, blah. And he refuses to speak to Picard. He says he's, o- he's only going to talk to Worf. Only my countrymen, only to Worf. Only to Worf. And then he aims his disruptor that he made at the dilithium crystal chamber. So basically he's threatening to blow up the ship.
1: Isn't there any safety for something like that? Like that will blow up the whole ship? I think it designed is it better. just out and in it the was, open there, like <laughs> yeah, is like I I'm gonna deal with this. He asks for permission to leave. Yeah, and everyone
0: like looks at him weird. Yeah,
1: well, which is odd because you think like that's what's going to totally happen, right?
0: Normal. Yeah, and Picard's like, we'll both go. We'll
1: both go. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yar doesn't doesn't think that Worf should talk to Chorus. She does. She thinks we they just need to wait him out. But Worf says like, no. Chorus will blow up the ship. He'll wait as long as he thinks it's to his advantage. But then he he would rather blow up the ship than than be executed.
1: Right. Yeah, and and Worf warns them that he's, he's probably willing to do that. Yeah. He goes to talk to him and Chorus thinks that Worf is going to join him.
0: Yeah, and... And
1: that's not what's happening. Yes,
0: and I, I wrote down a few, of, a lot of these lines because I...
1: They're good lines. I like them. They're fun. Chorus
0: says to Worf, I would rather die here than let the traitors of Kling pick the meat from my bones. Like, holy... Molly. Yeah, he thinks that he and Worf together can demand that Picard give them the battle bridge, and then they'll separate. And then he says, "We'll light up the galaxy."
1: They'll take the battle section of the ship, and they'll go and And do do stuff. (laughs) They'll do stuff. They'll light up the galaxy. (laughs) And Worf's like, "No." He's like, "Listen, put down the phaser." And and Chorus is shocked. He's like, "But I." He's like, "I've tasted your heart." Okay.
0: I have a couple of things to say about this.
1: Yeah, I don't think he meant that literally, but yeah.
0: First of all, that sounds very, in a weird way, like romantic. Yeah. I've tasted your heart. It sounds like he's in love with Worf.
1: So I should use that line more often is what you're saying. Be like, but I tasted your heart.
0: Uh, it's romantic in a creepy way. So I think, <laughs> don't actually use it. But it's like, right, it fair. sounds, it, it just, it doesn't sound, it sounds like something that a romantic, that would happen in a romantic setting. I've tasted your I've heart. Tasted, but the other thing heart, that yeah. I, like... He hasn't. He told Worf how Worf feels.
1: Yeah, he hasn't really let Worf explain his side of things at all.
0: Yeah. It surprised me as I was watching this that Corus and Conmel were so sure that Worf would be on their side. Because other Klingons were not on their side. So why would this Klingon be on their side?
1: Yeah, the whole rest of the Empire is against them.
0: Basically, he's, he's saying this is toxic masculinity what you want whoa you just want to fight toxic
1: klingon yeah
0: and it it just it really sounded to me like in early days of covid early early i remember (laughs) seeing a lot of things where people usually men who were defending like their right to have guns by saying like i'll do anything i'll do whatever it takes to protect my family and then they were like except wear a freaking mask like right so and that's what it is that that chorus and conmel and the other Klingon, they wanted to fight. Like Worf, part of his line is all of this you're saying, but what about duty, honor, loyalty? Without yeah. that, like a warrior is nothing.
1: People wanted an apocalypse where they got to show strength rather than kindness.
0: Yes. And I think right. Worf yeah. is saying that, that it's not just about showing strength. You need to show honor. You need to, you need to show care. And that this alliance yeah. is about that and that is being a warrior.
1: And again, he uses the word kindness earlier. Like his, the whole reason why he's alive and part of the Federation is because of of kindness. That has not erased who he is or his culture or his, no. his links to Klingon society, but it has shaped it and, yeah. and changed it and influenced yeah. it.
0: So Chorus says that Worf is no Klingon and Worf says perhaps not and then oh, shoots, shoots him. him. <laughs> and it, it was interesting too. I thought that... Like, that was, I felt him doing Chorus a kindness.
1: I, You know what? Okay. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Because this whole episode, everyone seemed to have forgotten the stun setting on all their weapons. <laughs> and, and then, but I thought, like, I thought afterwards, I was like, wait a second, though, because if he stuns Chorus, then Chorus will be taken yeah. by the other ship. Yeah, exactly. And then he'll just be executed anyway. So they won't have a proper death. Yeah. Not at least not a Klingon death.
0: Chorus falls through this like glass floor, which again you'd think would be a little stronger. They fix those floors. Yeah,
1: yeah, that didn't make any uh, sense, but it was dramatic and fun. it was.
0: And then and then like <laughs> Yar is about to go to him, but Picard's like, no, no, don't. And Worf goes down to him and does the same. He holds open his eyes yeah. and then howls. Not his own. Then on the bridge, Picard tells Canera that all of the fugitives have died, and Worf says they died well.
1: They died well.
0: I got the impression that Canera was happy about that because he said he he agreed that executing them was not good but it was the only option and so Worf kind of found a third option
1: so the episode definitely has its problems but it it sets up that in this alliance between the federation and the klingons there's still imperfections yes and sort of this cultural i mean we'll say incompatibility but that's normalized to make the alliance work because both sides know that this needs to work but it doesn't mean everyone's going to be 100% happy with it and maybe that's okay in some ways I don't know
0: right and there's also like I, I had a thought and then I, I immediately contradicted it in my head because my thought was like who's who has to make the sacrifices do both do both sides have to make the oh. sacrifices but then as soon as I thought that I was like okay but you can't expect both sides to make sacrifices if one side is like I want to be able to be violent and the other side is like I don't want to be killed. Like you yeah. can't expect both of those sides to make equal sacrifices. Yeah. So it makes sense that the Klingons would have to make that sacrifice and the the rest yes. of the Federation wouldn't have to meet them halfway like okay maybe you can kill half of us or you know like yeah. but that does breed resentment when people are like you know, get entitled about it and are like, well, why should I have to make all these sacrifices? Well, like
1: and and will become an ongoing plot point it will. in all of Star Trek is this relationship between yeah. the Klingons and the Federation. Through like all the franchises, all of them, basically. Even even the new ones like Discovery yeah. and stuff. Kadera tells Worf to consider serving with them. <laughs> and Worf says that he's honored. And I think that's a genuine I think both those sentiments are genuine. Yeah. I think they are. But then the bridge is surprised okay. the signal terminates and then the bridge is like they're all kind of looking at Worf, and then wharf looks at them and he's like i was just being polite <laughs> and that he has no desire to leave the, which is <laughs> leave nice the Enterprise. yeah which is nice yeah
0: canera repeated the line about their bodies being empty shells which i thought was a nice yes. full circle moment
1: yeah that because they asked what to do with them yeah. and he's like whatever they're just empty shells yeah. now so that's that's part of their traditions around death yeah and so Picard reiterates that well, Worf the bridge wouldn't be the same without you. Yeah. And and that from Picard is about what are the best compliments you could really ever have.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is it's nice. I like that it's not like one of those moralistic endings that we got in the early episodes <laughs> but it's still like it still sums it up nicely yeah
1: and this is really tilled the soil for future episodes around wharf and and this this duality that he'll find himself in yeah. in the future
0: i i have to say i love wharf episodes
1: i love them too i think they're there's some of tng at their best yeah. i think there's a reason why they take up so much content in tng is because if you're going to try to have a federation work mm-hmm this is one of the most extreme examples where you have one power. We'll call it the Federation. I don't want to call it an empire. It is kind of an empire, yeah. but whatever. Um, you have the Federation that is a power in space that, that it wants to be devoted to peace. And you have another that's fueled by war and, and, and conquest. Yeah. How, how would you have them work together? So it, it's, if you want to have a lot of really interesting storytelling and tension, that, that conflict and that tension is going to be... A part of it and it's and it's summarized through his character
0: and i also think that it is very relevant to stuff going on now and certainly i'm sure stuff that was going on when the show originally aired that this idea of like what is honor and glory and all of those things and and like you said this this one power that finds meaning in war and conquest but is it war and conquest or is that just was that just the vehicle that they used for honor kind of like what what we were talking about just a little while ago about when you said like people wanted an apocalypse where they could fight not one where they could be like kind and and warf in this episode like he says to chorus like the fight isn't out there the fight is inside
1: inside i love that part it's great the true test of a warrior is not without It is within. Here. Here is where we meet the challenge.
0: He's kind of talking about strength is not... Again, like you said, Data is the strongest character on the ship... And his primary function of that strength is to open doors, not to beat people up. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean he's not strong.
1: It's to it's to create passageways. Yeah,
0: he, he right, makes to acce- space. create access, yeah. to
1: make space, literally. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah.
0: there you go. It's all...
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> Who knew that that scene was so important? Data opening I know, door. I made
1: fun of it, but in <laughs> retrospect, that's yeah. true. I know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of with the first link if you liked what you heard please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on apple podcasts or your podcast provider of choice
0: our cover art was created by nathan nunn and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. our theme song is an amazing adventure by flame lion studio you can follow us on instagram at First firstlinkpod or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to tell us where you find honor and when you have been living in two worlds. I'm Reefy.
1: And I'm Matthew. And if you have a couple of fugitives in your brig, make sure to search them for secret disruptor pistols. <laughs>